The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. That's right, Bear Down Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Band, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you and we're there again, Bears fans. Another loss. This one, look, we we expected. I think most Bears fans expected a loss here. New Orleans Saints. I, I said it was going to be 24-13. Of course, it ends up being 24-17. So they cover for those of you who are interested in that aspect of football. But again, this is a team that just didn't get the job done on multiple levels. We're going to talk about it, and we're going to talk about it with Patrick Manley. Yes, big guest today. Excited to talk to Patrick Manley. Of course, pre and post host on the score, but more importantly, the longtime snapper of the Chicago Bears. And I did some research. I got to bring it up to to Patrick. I I think he was uh, with five head coaches. He was, I think he was there for Wanstead, Wanstead's final year. Dick Duran, Lovey Smith, Mark Tressman and John Fox, five head coaches for Patrick Manley. That uh, that's that's amazing, really, when you think about it. But we're going to talk to Patrick. We're going to talk about the game, trying to talk about overall how this team is playing. And I always love talking special teams with him because look, it's something that nobody talks about, and I think largely nobody talks about it because nobody really knows what they're looking at. Obviously, we can look at Devin Hester and be like, yeah, that guy's amazing. But I'm talking about in terms of coverage, errors, where there's lost opportunities, where they subtly may have screwed something up. There, there, there's not a lot of people who can discuss special teams in that way. So I, I want to talk to Patrick about that and kind of see where he thinks the special teams unit is. That's going to be interesting to me. I love love getting into that that perspective with him. But Let's talk about this game. Let's talk about some of the obvious things that just slammed us over the head. We'll start with quarterback play. I said my piece about Tyson Bajant and the reaction the fan base and the media had to Tyson Bajant last week. I, I, I listened back to it, and I, I was upset with myself with how agitated I got about it. And that's the thing. I, I still am agitated that this happened. But, you know, it also came across kind of like I was ripping Tyson a little bit. And that was the last thing I wanted to do. Because like I said, and I know I said it last week, I like this story. I like Tyson Bajan. But what we saw against the Saints is the exact reason why right now, 
and maybe it'll change in three, four, five years. I don't think it will. But right now, Tyson Bajan is a physically limited quarterback because of the arm. He does not have a true NFL arm. We said it when with the Vikings game. It, it was clear then. It was the, the one of the serious limitations, which is why he fell to a UDFA and wasn't a fifth, sixth round flyer for a team was because he didn't have NFL arm strength. And we're seeing it. Not only does he rarely throw the ball significantly down the field to try and stretch the defense, but, you know, doesn't quite have the right mustard and the ball ends up being a little behind, you know, in terms of the, the accuracy and the, the zip he needs on those intermediate and, you know, deep intermediate and short, deep, so to speak, you know, throws right around that 15, 20 yard mark. He, it, those are he's going to continue to struggle with. He can do really well in the short, quick game and the shorter intermediate throws. And that's great. And that's great for a backup quarterback. But when the Saints, you know, that, and I will say this, the first half of the Saints game, I felt what I will call the Luke Getze offense. Because when Justin Fields is at his best, it's not the Luke Getze offense. The Luke Getze offense is screens, screens and quick game and getting the ball out and, and really trying, you know, like, Tyson Bajan beat the Raiders with a 2.1 average depth of target. You know, Luke Getzey doesn't want to throw the ball down the field pretty much ever. And Tyson Bajan can play within the confines of that offense. But for that offense to work, you need everything working in concert. You need the run game. You need the offensive line. Everything's got to be humming. You can't overcorrect with something in the Luke Getzey offense. But the first half against the Saints, I thought was the best the Luke Getzey offense had looked all season. But then you get into the second half, Saints make some adjustments, and the game gets to the point, and Getze makes some decisions as well, because the game was never out of hand, to put the game in Tyson Bajan's hands rather than in the confines of the offense. And, you know, I know Foreman had 20 carries, but, you know, try and run the ball more. And, you know, you're never, you're never out of it when you're only down a touchdown. And I feel like Getze and Bajant kind of went away from what works for them. And then we saw the turnovers and, and the problems and everything come in. Because that's, again, not Tyson Bajant's strengths. And, and now we're at a situation where Bajant has played three and a half games and he has turned the ball over eight times. Six interceptions, two fumbles lost. It, it simply doesn't work. It's not, it's not going to work. You can't have that. So, again... And at the time of this recording, we don't know if Justin Fields is playing this Thursday or not. DJ Moore certainly didn't feel that he was going to Sunday after the game, but we will see. Hopefully Justin Fields gets out there because, again, this Tyson Bajan story, I'm not going to say it's over, but enough. Like, let's get Justin Fields back out there. Let's get the Justin Fields evaluation going forward again because what Tyson Bajan is is a backup quarterback, that looks like he can keep the train on the tracks. If you've got a good team around him, you know, Brock Purdy, this thing, again, if he's got a good team around him, the Bears don't have quite enough around him yet to do that. And that's what he is. So I, I don't want to knock Tyson. I like Tyson. I want to see how he develops moving forward. I want to see him remain on this roster for the next two, three years as their backup quarterback, a very affordable UDFA contract backup quarterback. I think that's a fabulous piece for the, the Bears, a fabulous asset for this team to have moving forward, and, and I'm pleased with it. But in terms of having him, rolling him out there and continuing to start, if Justin Fields can play, we need to see Justin Fields out there. Because, 
That I mean, the bottom line with this game, when you when you think about the fact that they lost the turnover battle five to nothing, Saints had five turnovers. The Bears had the two fumbles, three interceptions. DJ Moore, the other fumble, and I think I saw some guys getting on DJ Moore. I'm not getting on DJ Moore. He he fumbled the football. He shouldn't have fumbled the football. But DJ Moore fights for so many extra yards. Inevitably, that that was going to happen. The ball's going to get punched out. I don't care. I want DJ Moore to stay aggressive. I love what I've seen. I love that he is a Chicago Bear now. So I'm thrilled with DJ Moore. I'm not going to knock him for one fumble based on all the positives he's done. But again, Bajant with four turnovers yesterday. And the fact that they've turned the ball over five times and only lost by a touchdown, certainly give credit to the defense. But at the same time, this is why this Saints team just isn't very good. And they aren't coached particularly well either. I mean, the Bears had fourth and two, and Dennis Allen decides to accept a penalty, push them back. Bears end up getting the first down. That was the Bajan scramble. You know, he could have stuck with fourth and two, and they probably would have kicked the field goal at that point. But that Dennis Allen decides to push him back. The Derek Carr sneak when he's got Taysom Hill on his team. You know, there's plenty of mistakes, I think, from a coaching perspective that Dennis Allen makes and kind of keeps this team kind of floundering where they really don't have to be quite as much. They're not a great football team. They're a decent football team, but they're certainly not getting coached up at all. So while I give credit to the Bears for keeping it a one-score game despite losing 5-0 in the turnover battle, I also do think that the Saints and some of the decisions of their coaches kept the Bears in this game as well. Because let's be honest, if you lose 5-0 in the turnover battle and you're in home, you're at the Superdome, that should be like a three-score victory. You should have cruised in that game. And the fact that it you know, was up in the air the last five minutes of the game is unacceptable for the Saints. Beneficiary for the Bears that they had an opportunity there. But bottom line, you can't have that. And, you know, again, we talk about, you know, you credit the defense. They did a good job shutting down the run again. Secondary did okay in spurts. But the bottom line here again comes back to this pass rush and lack thereof. We are at a point now where the last two games, the Chicago Bears have a total of four QB hits and zero sacks. They let Justin Herbert and Derek Carr sit back and pick them apart. They let Taysom Hill sit back in his opportunity and he threw a touchdown pass. This is what happens when you allow good quarterbacks, excellent quarterbacks like Herbert, excellent quarterbacks like Mahomes, good quarterbacks or average, if that's what he is now, quarterbacks like Derek Carr, you give them opportunities to sit back and not be disturbed in the pocket, they will pick you apart. That's it. That's the bottom line. This is how the NFL works these days. You know, the the Bears made a choice that they were going to build the defense from the back forward and not invest as much into the defensive line. That was Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus's decision. I'm sure they worked in concert. I, you know, when you're paying Tremaine Edmonds and you're paying TJ Edwards, you know, Flus loves his linebackers. I'm sure there was plenty of influence there. Didn't invest as much in the defensive line. What they did invest in, for the most part, are run stoppers, because that's what Eberflus likes, and this is what you end up with. You end up with no pass rush, you don't disturb quarterbacks, and they pick you apart. 
We saw it with Jordan Love. We saw it with Baker Mayfield. We saw it with Patrick Mahomes. The list goes on and on and on. The only one they got to was Sam Howell, and that's because everybody gets to Sam Howell. He holds onto the football too long. The line doesn't block too well. It's a mess in Washington. Five sacks in that game. Five sacks for the Bears in all other games combined. They do not have a pass rush. And it's not going to get better this year. There's nothing they can do. Eberflus is, you know, he doesn't, he's not good at really coming up with creative ways to generate pressure. He tries some blitzes and some stunts. They work sometimes. They don't work other times. You know, that that's it. And, and when you look at this defense overall, and you can sit there and say, well, the secondary is pretty good when it's healthy. And, and yes, it is. The linebackers are good when they're healthy. And I'll say this about the linebackers. Did you feel there was a drop-off at all from Tremaine Edmonds being out and Jack Sanborn being in at the mic? Did you feel it at all? And Noah Sewell coming in 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 base packages for Sam. Because I didn't feel a drop-off at all. And if you're telling me that Jack Sanborn on a UDFA contract can contribute as much at the Mike Backer spot, then Tremaine Edmonds, who I understand played better the last couple games before he got hurt. But when you're looking at Tremaine Edmonds overall this season, and you can make the argument that Jack Sanborn, for basically $17 million less per season, can be just as effective as Edmonds, that's a really bad signing. Really. Because Sanborn was already on the team. And I kind of sat there in the offseason and said, they'll go get a cheap Sam. They'll pay $10, $11 million for a Will linebacker, and they'll let Sanborn play Mike. Then they signed Edwards and Edmonds. I'm like, okay, Sanborn's going to play Sam, and then they're going to use these two as Will and Mike. I was surprised. Had they just brought in TJ Edwards, drafted Noah Sewell like they did, and had Sanborn you'd have $18 million more that you could have allocated to other positions, like the defensive line. But they didn't want to spend on the defensive line. They didn't like who was there, so they spent on Tremaine Edmonds. Poor, poor allocation of resources as far as I'm concerned. And it showed up yesterday that this defense can be just as effective with Jack Sanborn as it can be with Tremaine Edmonds. And show me proof otherwise that it's not. And show me proof that Sanborn wasn't up to the task last year. They decided that they couldn't trust a UDFA linebacker to be a Mike, even though they saw what he did the last five, six, seven games of 2022. They bumped him over to Sam so he wouldn't have to play as much. And again, I am not a Sanborn honk. I don't sit there and say he's the next great Bears linebacker. I love the story. He's a good player. He's effective. He does a great job. He's getting better in pass coverage as well. He's a good blitzer, phenomenal sideline to sideline tackling and, and, and stopping runs. He's a good player. He was a great find from Ryan Poles as a UDFA, but now what he's done is he's invested so much money in Edmonds and Edwards. Sanborn's got no place to go on this line uh, with these linebackers. He doesn't get an opportunity to play more. Again, what are they going to do? Bench Edwards, bench Edmonds with those contracts? They're not going to do that. So now they've got a good player who could be playing a lot more snaps at a really cheap rate and have money to spend elsewhere or money, I guess, with the floor they needed to spend it last year. Money they could have spent elsewhere. They could have 
signed a center. They could have signed a, a defensive lineman, another edge. There's 8,000 things they could have done with $18 million a year other than give it to Tremaine Edmonds. But that's what they chose to do. And they have buried Jack Sanborn on the depth chart. He's got nowhere to play. Jack Sanborn will be back next year, probably in the same role as Sam in the backup, you know, at the other two positions. And what's going to happen? That's the end of Jack Sanborn's contract. So now they're going to have to try and pay Jack Sanborn. Other people might get involved. He's going to need a salary hike. And you lost an opportunity to have him play significant snaps on a cheap contract and you decided to give that money to Edmonds and Edwards. And I'm not complaining about TJ Edwards. That was a fine signing. He's absolutely lived up to his contract. Jermaine Edmonds hasn't. I didn't like that signing. At the, I was confused. Why I thought you weren't going to pay off-ball linebackers. And that's why Roquan Smith wasn't here. Then you go and pay Tremaine Edmonds almost as much money. The whole thing was stupid. I don't like paying linebackers that kind of money. You better be one hell of a difference maker. If you're making more than about $14 million a year at linebacker, you better be damn good. Damn good. Fred Warner, good. Darius Leonard, before he got hurt, good. Like, you better just be a guy that disrupts everything. And Tremaine Edmonds was fine in Buffalo, had a contract year, blew up in that contract year, and the Bills said, see you later. Had, didn't even hesitate. Had no interest in paying that guy. Terrell Bernard has come in there and is playing just as well, actually better than Edmonds at, on a rookie contract from what, third, fourth round pick, whatever he is. That's all this was, was a poor decision. So when you look at the Ryan Poles resume, plenty of positives. The DJ Moore trade, you know, plenty of positives. Andrew Billings was a great, you know, signing there and, and keeping him around. Absolutely. But when you have things like the Tremaine Edmonds signing and Chase Claypool and some of the other mistakes, if the Bears decide to move on from Ryan Poles, if Kevin Warren says, I've seen enough and moves on from him, there are enough reasons to do so. I always think general managers should get three off seasons, but I, if, Ryan, if, if, if Kevin Warren decides that Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus need to go, then absolutely he should do it, line everything up, get a new GM, a new coach, draft a quarterback, do everything the right way, like the Houston Texans just did, mind you, C.J. Stroud, five touchdowns, 470 yards passing, with Bobby Slowick as an offensive coordinator, a new head coach, everything lining up. That's what the Texans did. You see what happens when you do it the right way. The Bears have an opportunity to do it the right way. And if they want to do it with a new GM, I support that plan. If they want to bring Ryan Poles back because they trust the evaluation process for who's that, those high picks are going to, you know, how they're going to be allocated, then okay. You've got to trust Kevin Warren that he's seen enough positives from Ryan Poles. But again, whatever Kevin Warren decides with Ryan Poles, I, I will be okay with it. If somehow Matt Eberflus is still this coach, the coach of this team next year, I will have massive issues with it. I did not like how positive Ryan Pohl spoke about Matt Eberflus last week. I know you, oh, dreaded vote of confidence, yada, yada. That wasn't a vote of confidence. That was a Matt Eberflus is awesome and you don't know it. Like it was, it, I don't want to say it was combative, but it almost felt that way. Like stop knocking this guy. You don't see behind the scenes, how great he is and what he's doing and how awesome he is for this franchise. That was a little over the top. I didn't like that too much. 
I didn't like that Ryan Poles, to me, is kind of pushing the, you know, the, the narrative to try and change so that if they can win some games in the second half here, that Matt Eberflus is going to come back. That better not happen. Because when you look at the hits philosophy that we are supposed to just bow down to and pretend that this is a great idea in 2023 to have a cornball high school, you know, stick it on the, the wall mentality with the hits principle, which by the way, can we just say something? When you make, you know, one of these, yeah, I forget what they're called, but you know, the with uh, each letter representing something and T is for the word the, for the ball, it stinks. It's not good. It's the Hibbs principle. You, you, you have failed. The ball is stupid. I'm not saying the ball isn't important, but when you have to call it the ball, you have failed with your hits principle. So I never liked it. I know it's not Eberflus's to start with Rod Marinelli, yada, yada. I don't care because if you're going to preach hits principle and what we have is, let's see, the ball. How'd we do with the ball? Five turnovers to zero. The Bears pretty much never get turnovers. That's not focusing on turnovers and getting to the ball. And when we continue to look at the hits principle and S is for playing smart, well, then why is this team constantly penalized? I thought this was going to be a disciplined football team that focused on fundamentals and didn't have mental lapses. All this team has is mental lapses. Matt Eberflus is not the guy to coach this team. And I know I am just, you're, you're all in agreement with me, I'm pretty sure. At the beginning of the year, there were some Eberflus supporters. They've all gone away. This team is sitting at two and seven. And I don't like talking about tanking. And I have said that unless it's the last week of the season, I cannot sit down on Sunday and cheer against the Bears. I can't do it. It is not in my bones to sit there and hope that they lose. But I will say this, losing to the Chargers and the Saints these last couple weeks, if you're a Matt Eberflus needs to be gone, which I assume most of us are, you're, it's hard to argue that that wasn't a good thing. That, that kind of needed to happen, right? It, it really did. Because if they had won, let's just say they win one of those games, and instead of two and seven, they're three and six. Then they win against Carolina this week on a short week. Certainly possible. We know how bad Carolina is. Now they're at four and six. And when you have a four and six team, and in the back half, you still have Arizona sitting there with a potential for win number five. You have Minnesota, who while Josh Dobbs did incredible work last week, you have Minnesota, Sands, Kirk Cousins. Yes, on the road, but definitely a possible game you could win for win six. Jordan Love and the Packers continue to struggle. I know they won. That's a good thing, Bears fans. You need to get the Packers out of the top five because if Jordan Love's not the guy, he certainly does not look to be the guy. You do not want them falling into the two spot and getting Drake May and terrorizing the Bears for another 15 years with a franchise quarterback. So you got to get the Packers a couple wins. As much as you hate to see it, they need to get a couple wins. You need to get them up to six. Get them the hell out of there. So if they draft a quarterback, they're getting QB4 or QB5. That's what you need to see from the Green Bay Packers. But the Packers sitting there for a possible win number seven. Atlanta, a beatable team. There are teams there that the Bears could beat. 
So if they're able to, if they were able to get a couple more wins here before going into this back half, yes, they got Detroit a couple times. That's not going to be easy. There was going to be a chance to build some momentum to get to like seven and 10, still have a terrible season, still have a losing season, but that is certainly enough that could have saved Matt Eberflus. But these couple losses, I, I'm certainly, while I was certainly cheering for them to win yesterday against the Saints, when you take a step back the next day and look at it, you kind of go, that wasn't the worst thing in the world. Now, this Thursday, beat the pants off the Carolina Panthers. Get that, keep them at one win. The Panthers absolutely have a better path to that first, second pick than the Bears do. Because again, even with these losses and the Bears sitting at two and seven, they could beat the Panthers. Let's say they lose to the Panthers, right? Now, each of those teams both have two wins. The Panthers then could get a couple more, get themselves the fourth, fifth, sixth pick for Chicago. And then the Bears go and beat Green Bay or beat Arizona or whoever it might be. And they get themselves five, six wins and they get out of that top three, four spots as well. That's a problem. If this season is going to be as sunk as it is, you need the Chicago Bears to stink the right way and put themselves in a position to start winning football games next season or maybe 2025. Because as Bears fans, we just can't take this dreadful stretch much longer. It, it is woeful. It is bad. It is pathetic. So if you're going to stink, stink the right way, get this team, you know, in a position to be successful moving forward because three and 14 and seven and 10 isn't any different other than the fact that at least at three and 14, you're going to have a lot of draft capital. You're going to have a new coach and you're going to be able to start fresh seven and 10. All you're doing is running back this mess with a couple more free agents and a couple more rookies. So yes, if they go five and 12 or six and 11 and run this back, then now they're at what? Eight wins, nine wins. Even if they sneak into the playoffs, you're not going to see the makings of a team that can really compete. You're going to have the makings of basically the Jay Cutler era again, where they make the playoffs a couple times. They go seven and nine, six and 10 a bunch. And that's just not going to cut it. Like you, you want to build this thing up so this team can have sustained success. It's something we never see in Chicago. And Matt Eberflus, I am confident, is not going to be the head coach of a team with sustained success. That's what I want to see, Bears fans. That's what I want to see. So I think I've babbled enough. I want to get to Patrick Manley. I have so much to talk to him about. So he's going to join me next. This is Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. 
Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, welcome back into the podcast. Haven't been able to get this guy on in the last couple of years and able to set it up today. Excited to do it. It's always a great conversation to have him on. He is Patrick Manley. You know him well, of course, the longtime special teams long snapper for the Chicago Bears and now pre and post on the score. The Twitter handle, if you're not following him, is pretty easy. It's at Patrick Manley. And he joins me now. Patrick, Bill Zimmerman, how you doing? Bill, I'm doing good. Wish there was a win yesterday, but other than that, uh, I can't complain. Yeah, before we get into the win, and and I, I didn't mention this, but before we you know before we started the interview, mm-hmm. but I always like asking you you know special teams and everything. Yeah. Devin Hester, you sure. know, I know as Bears fans, and I think it's a it's inevitability. It's a matter of when, not if mm-hmm. he gets into the Hall of Fame. But I'm really hopeful for this year. You know, last year was going to be tough with a lot of the big time first year ballot guys. I'm really hoping that this year is the year for him to, to you know, break through and get in. Uh, and it would, just, it would just be exciting because, you know, I, I he's such a different player. And, and I know when he was playing, we used to hear a lot, well, he's just a returner. That's not mm-hmm. enough. But, you know, Ray Guy got in as a punter and we all sure. expect Adam Vinatieri to get in a lot more, you know, to the all-time great special teamers. We're starting to see it now. It would be great to see it for Hester. You know, I, I don't know if you talk to him. Is he on pins and needles? Is he just, you know, you think he's relaxed and ready for it, whatever? Because obviously, as Bears fans, we want to see that sooner rather than later. Yeah, I've talked to him a little bit. Um, I know he really wants to get in there. And just my opinion, he deserves it. I know there's talk about the number of plays that he played in the NFL doesn't equate to some of the other Hall of Famers that have been in, that are in the Hall of Fame. But the game evolves right it changes and that that man changed the game at that position and then obviously won a lot of games for us changed field position i know there's some people doing some research for dan pompey and um and uh forgot who else might present him or would help present him but they're doing some research to help you know build his 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 cause to get in the nfl but you just turn that tape on and you watch what he did every sunday thursday monday whenever he was playing he changed the game he changed game plans he changed field position um and he was just that electric. And I, I, he deserves to be in there. It's unfortunate he didn't go on the first ballot. And I get it. Uh, it's one that needs to be talked through. And it's, it's like I said, it's a different position. But um, I know he wants to be in there soon. He deserves to be in there. And I know all my contemporaries I played against, all my teammates obviously believe he should be in there. Uh, just the name Devin Hester, if it's not in the Hall of Fame, it's kind of a travesty. Yeah, and and I did. I know it's his most famous return, obviously, because it happened in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. But hearing Tony Dungy talking about that is is just the perfect example of his impact, where Tony Dungy was basically like, we're not going to let some returner dictate how we play football. We're going to play our game. He kicks to him. He returns it for a mm-hmm. touchdown. And Tony Dungy, all right, we're not we're never going to try that again. <laughs> and, and he jokes about it, you know, now when he <clears throat> talks about it, like that was a huge mistake. And, and that, that just sums it up perfectly that the – Great coaches, Hall of Fame coaches are like, well, a punt returner or a kick returner, even as great as he is, can't impact the game that much. And then when they experience it firsthand, they go, oh, wait a minute. I Bill, he had, to, he had to think about that situation for two weeks, right? We had two weeks yep. between the NFC chips. So he's that right there tells you that a single returner in the NFL made you lose sleep for two weeks about what you were going to do on one of the first kickoff to him. Would you kick the ball to him? And then think about how many punters and other kickers had to deal with that and that gets in your head. How many times guys, you know, try to angle it out of bounds, they put it right back in the middle of the field. Poor Chris Cluey, very good NFL punter, 
Happened to him a lot. He's trying to hit an out-of-bounds ball. He puts it right back in the middle of the field, and Devin has a couple returns on him. But that, that, that's Devin. He just got in people's minds and changed the game. And that's that's why he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, Just not just because of that, his numbers as well and everything, but he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and like I said, he, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame now. So I think this year bodes well for him. So yes. we'll we'll cross our fingers that this is the year it happens. And mm-hmm. I'll, I'll talk some special teams with you here in a little bit on the 2023 Bears, but you know, yep. don't want to bury the lead. Let's let's talk a little Saints and, and obviously we'll get into the quarterback play here a little bit. But kind of just before we get into the specifics, what was your overall vibe you know you're feeling watching this game yesterday i mean five turnovers is brutal but they kept yeah. it within a score yes. despite having that that disparaging you know difference there so kind of where were you with this game and how it played out um it's just it seems like we're here every week right just it seems like you're disappointed in something something happens doing the pregame with mully and olin you know we we all all said that we thought it was going to be a blowout i think i predicted 27 to 10 just coming off after the week they had with the firings and all that stuff with Jalen Johnson signing a new player and just uh, a, a terrible week the week before going against the Chargers and kind of a similar offense with Austin Eckler and Alvin Kamara. I just thought they didn't match up well. So in the end, it's one of those now that we're at a point as Bears fans and Bears analysts, you try, try to take as much positive as you can because there is so much negative. So in the end, number one, I was entertained, right? Because it was only one uh, one score game. So you're somewhat entertained. Uh, and you were hoping for Tyson Beijing to continue his first half into the second half. And then it just kind of reared its head of, of kind of who he is. He's an undrafted kid uh, that's trying to make it in the NFL. And it's just not polished yet. I don't know if he'll ever be an elite player, if he'll ever be a starter in the NFL. But his story of beating the Raiders is great. Uh, but you're always hoping for that story to be, become greater. And I think at halftime, we were all excited. But Boomer Esiason said something, I think, on the CBS halftime report that if he continues playing well, they should question if Justin Fields can come back. But then again, Tyson Beijing came out and had a, you know his struggles, two interceptions, a force, a, a fumble as well. Um, but overall, I think Bill, right now, it's just it's so depressing that they keep losing. That just who I am as a person, I try to find some positive in everything. And so to me, it was a loss. But there were some good things, offensive line wise. Um, you know, Tyson Beijing's first half, the run game's still good. Uh, so it, it's it's just difficult. It's just you know, it's just what it is. Just more the same old, same old right now. So, so let me ask you this as, as a player, when you, you have a season like this, cause I know, you know, over your, you know, nearly two mm-hmm. decades, you had plenty of great seasons and mm-hmm. plenty of seasons where the team just didn't, didn't click when you have a first half, that's, you know, unfortunately just as bad yep. as this one has gone for the bears. And I, I don't know if you ever experienced anything like this one, especially yes, early, early mm-hmm. on when it sure. just seemed like all the wheels were falling off, but as a player, when you're at about the midseason point and you're you're sitting there, you're two and seven, and you you know you got a half a season to go, do you lose? Is is it hard to keep the motivation? Is, is is it okay because you know you're professionals and you're like we still have time to to get some wins under our belt and make this you know a season we can be more proud of? Kind of how how does the the locker room you know keep keep the right mentality? You always have to believe, and sometimes you have to sell yourself some falsities, right? Like. Uh, Iberflus was talking about, hey, we were two and two in our last four games. And that stuff to me, I wish he wouldn't have told the media, but that stuff you sell your team. You're trying to get these guys to stay motivated. But as me as an individual, you have to keep that motivation by yourself. That's your job. Uh, you know, you, I want to stay in the NFL as long as I could. I took pride in doing what I did. And I think every player does in the NFL at whatever position they play. So it's your internal pride. And then you try to bring that together. And you do try to find some ways of almost 
falsifying some enthusiasm, right? That you, that you have a chance. Sometimes, you know, if you look at a roster on one team, you know, when they go play the Lions, I mean, the Lions right now are a much better football team. That's a couple of weeks from now compared to sure. what the Bears are. But then you're like, wait, they're interdivision guys. We played them before. Maybe we can beat them. So you start to build these things up in your mind that you believe you can win. And you have to do that. If you don't do that, you're defeated anyway. But I think every individual in the NFL has to do that, even if you are one and nine, two and seven, um, you know, whatever it is, you just have to have that inner belief that somehow, some way you can win. Because listen, every Sunday you watch, the, it's, it's a story, right? There's one game that you never think somebody's going to beat them, somebody beats somebody. So if you are that two and 17 going forward, you're like, hey, why can't we be that team this week? Why can't we be that team three or four years ago that went on a four game winning streak that was two and seven and ended up okay? Uh, so you just kind of have to sell yourself that. And you, you speak of, of believing and you, you know, you talk a little bit about Tyson Bajan before. And, and I do think that this team really, you know, have his back and really mm-hmm. do believe in him that he can make the throws and, and do what he needs to do. And, and I think I, I'm with you. I think this is a great story. I think this is totally beneficial for the bears yes. that they could have a QB two Yep. on a UDFA contract, you know, basically less than a million dollars a year, where if you need a good QB2, you know, that you're signing as a veteran, that's five, six, seven million dollars a year you yep. need to spend on that position. Sure. That's a big help, and, and that would be great. I know some guys in the media and a lot of fans wanted to try and hype this into something more than it was, which frustrated me yes. more so because I felt it was unfair to Tyson Bajan to, yep. to put that much on a UDFA kid from from division two but i liked a lot of what i saw you know especially when he can keep within himself in the offense but i think that second half when it came became a little more one-dimensional and he really needed to challenge the saints defense with his arm he just didn't have that and i know arm strength at this point it's tough to to gain some and hopefully he will over the next couple years but that's where i i see him i see him as a physically limited Mm -hmm. quarterback but I see him as a, a smart guy who, who knows the offense, knows what he's doing, and can really be an asset for this team moving forward, whether it's Justin Fields or a new quarterback here in 2024. Yeah, and the city is so quarterback-starved, right? I mean, it's been so long since we've had a franchise quarterback, and there's so much hope in every one that comes along. There was so much hope in Justin Fields. He still has a chance, but he's going down for me. And then with Tyson Bajan, so to me, celebrate the story of him winning an NFL game. That story of him coming from Shepard, beating the Raiders. That's awesome. You should not be comparing him to Justin Fields. You should be comparing him to other rookie quarterbacks, other backup quarterbacks in the league. Like you said, did we find a quarterback too? I think Matt Spiegel on the score had a quarterback two party, right? Saying <laughs> we found a backup. So that, that that's the way it should be celebrated. And hopefully he is that. And you're right about money wise, you keep him as a backup. And then you find maybe if you have to draft another quarterback, you save money. You can always bring that veteran on, on the practice squad, right? Like Nathan Peterman. So you don't have to pay him six, seven, eight million dollars to be the backup. You can still bring a guy in that is that kind of mentor that you hopefully doesn't have to play, but can be there and teach the young guys, te- teach Tyson as well. Um, so it's a great story, and it's it is what it is. It's uh, I, I just think this 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 town is so quarterback starved that they're you know you hear on the radio they're making comparisons of Drew Brees, Brett Favre. There's no way, guys. Please slow it down. <laughs> we know what he is. The scouts know what he is. There's a reason why he wasn't drafted. The story's great. He won an NFL game. Let's celebrate, like you said, we potentially now have a backup quarterback moving forward who's a serviceable guy who has to turn uh, stop turning the ball over. That's the number one thing. If he had to continue playing, I said this on the radio uh, after the game yesterday, if he had to continue playing and Justin Fields was out a couple more weeks and he continued to turn the ball over the way he is, you have to sit him. 
You can't let them play because you can't do that to your team. Like you were talking about going out there at two and seven, you can't put a quarterback out there knowing that's going to turn the ball over two to three times. I think you would have to maybe make the move to Nathan Peterman. That's down the road and that's whatever. That's hopefully does not happen. But that's just me saying that, that Tyson Bajan has to play better if he's going to continue playing or if he is going to get some more reps for the rest yeah. of the season. And, and and that's kind of where I am with Bage, and, and I agree with you there a hundred percent. Is and you hear the the argument, oh well, Tony Romo and oh Kurt Warner oh, yeah. and we, the UDFA mm-hmm. success stories. But the one thing what, that I always say when people go, well, how do you know that he's limited and he can't do that? But I'll, I also say this: I'm like, and if he does, you know, continue to defy the odds and continues mm-hmm. to develop and get better and better, and maybe figures out how to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Romo and Warner and even guys like Jake DeLome and, and Chad Johnson, they weren't starters until they were 28, 29 years old. They were in the league five or six years kind of building up to that point. So it's just kind of a thing of how further back kind of Bajan is in that whole developmental arc than, than guys who are division one and playing at Ohio state and some of the, you know, Alabama and these massive programs. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is, be patient with it. Let him develop yes. as a QB yes. two. And if in 2026, sure. you know, you know, the, the next quarterback the Bears bring in doesn't pan out and they give him a shot and it starts coming together. Fun, great story. Let's let's ride with it. But again, like I said earlier, I just was so frustrated because I felt it was unfair to Tyson Bajan putting that all on his shoulders. But here's the other thing. Do you think in four years, five years from now, that you could win a Super Bowl with Tyson Bajan? As of right now, I would say no. No, right? I think if you projected him as well, you you you, you would say no. So he's not the answer. To me, he's not the answer. You're, you're trying to win a Super Bowl, right? The Bears have not won one since 19, February 19, or January 1986. So you're trying to win a Super Bowl. So you have to find that Super Bowl winning quarterback. That's the way the league is driven right now. If you look at like the top seven quarterbacks every year, this is what I try to do every year, they're going to make the playoffs just because they're the best quarterbacks, unless there's like you know, catastrophic injuries all across the team. But that's what you're looking for here in Chicago. A guy that you just know when you line up week one, you have a great chance to win the division and or, and, or get in the playoffs and make a run. And I don't know if Tyson Bajan is that in four years from now. Maybe he is. And what a great story. How cool would that be? And, you know, another great story written in NFL history. But right now it's not. To me, the Bears need to look for that Super Bowl caliber quarterback. Could it be Justin Fields? I don't think so right now. We'll see what happens in the next eight games. And maybe it's in the draft this year, but that's what I think the Bears should be looking for. Yep, I, I agree a hundred percent. And you know, as of the time of this recording, we don't know if Fields is playing right. this week or not. It's a short week, probably not. You know, when listening to DJ more afterwards, so you know, we'll we'll see moving forward. And and if he gets those reps, and he's really going to have to put on a show the last seven games or so if he cements himself as QB one. But but here's but, the other question, Bill: Will Luke Getzey tailor the offense to him more? I, yeah, that's what I want to see. I think it would be unfair to Justin Fields if he did not do that. Yeah, I think they're trying to you know force a, a, a round peg in a square hole. I just it's it's what it seems like to me that they've tried to put him you know spread the field. We're going to run five you know five down up front. We're going to block and see if you can read the defense. That's not his skill set. He has a skill set that's different for this you know this league. We've seen Lamar Jackson run it, but it just doesn't seem like Luke Getzey is calling plays that is tailored. To Justin Fields, and hopefully after this time he's been off, they've sat down, they've thought about it, and said, "Listen, 
you know, Tyson runs runs this offense the way I want it run, but maybe we have to change it up a little bit and give more Justin Fields and Justin Fields plays. Yeah, and, and let, let me since you brought that up, let, let me ask you about that because in your career, I, I'm just doing the math in my head. I think it was it five coaches, head coaches you played for. Four, four, uh, yeah, four, did you uh, did you play for one? Yeah, five. Yeah, five. Okay, yeah, yeah so, so yeah. five coaches. <laughs> so some some with wow. you know varying degrees of success, yeah. but. Um, you know, isn't it kind of the the goal? You know, the the core of of coaching that you should tailor to the talent you have. I mean, yes. that's we screamed about that with Matt Nagy, with Mitch Trubisky. Even when we knew Mitch wasn't the guy, we're like, well, there's things Mitch can do, and Nagy's not doing it with them. And then Bill Lazor did it a little bit more. I mean, isn't isn't that the point of coaching? Let let me assess what I have talent wise, and let me put these guys in a position to succeed. What you just said there is perfect. Ron Turner, I forgot what year it was he, he was here with us, and he said at one of his first meetings, I'm sitting in an office meeting, he said, listen, my job as a coordinator is to put you in position to succeed. And I've never heard a coach say that. That's a pretty simple statement, right? That's the way it should be done. Uh, granted, we've got to be limited on talent, but he was trying. But to hear a coach say that and openly try to do that is what should be going on right now in Chicago. I don't know if that's happening. Just sometimes you look at some of the play calls and you question it. I'll go back to the Saints game real quick with Tyson Bajan. First half, they're running the ball well, right? He's throwing the ball okay. He's throwing it well. They're kind of balancing it back and forth. You go to the last four series of the game, there's two turnovers, a punt, and a, or three turno two interceptions, a turnover, and a punt. Early in the fourth quarter, they run the ball, get no yardage. They give the ball right to Tyson Bajan to try to get the first down on second and third down. Throws an interception. The next one, I think it's a punt. The next one, the same thing happens. They run the ball, they get the second long, they put it in Tyson Bajan's hand. I don't understand that. You're only down one. You have a run game. Why not run it again? Sure. Why not run it again? You know, and then punt and then play defense. They're playing much defense much better in the back in the, in the second half. But to me, Luke Getze, that would be a question I would have. Why did you give him the ball so much in the second half when even last year people argued the Bears would be down seven points and Justin Fields kept handing the ball off, right? He kept handing the ball off. You're like, why aren't you letting him throw the ball? This game plan, he let Tyson Bajan kind of try to take over in the fourth quarter and it backfired. So there's there's a yeah, there's a two-way street of trying to get your players to be in the best position to play, but sometimes your players might not be the best player for that position at that point. I mean, it's a young quarterback in his rookie year. Well, while we're talking about putting players in the right positions, let me ask you about the offensive line. Kind of tell me what mm -hmm. you would do here because you know, right now we're starting to see some pieces come come into play. You know, we're, we're starting to see Darnell Wright continue to improve and turn it into something. Devin Jenkins comes back and mm -hmm. he's mauling people. He, he's looking great. And, and, you know, Braxton Jones coming back. I know he had a couple of mistakes, but good to see him back there. We know yes. he's a better player than Larry Borum. So he, here's my question. Nate Davis, when he yeah. comes back and hopefully he, I doubt he's back this week, but maybe he'll be back the, the week after against Detroit. What do you do with the offensive line? Do you do you move Nate over to left guard? Do you flip Tevin back over to left guard? And what do you do at center? Do you try Cody Whitehair again? Do you move Cody Whitehair to the bench? What what is your offensive line? You know when when they have all their pieces, hopefully have all their pieces here in a couple of weeks. You know what the best thing about this conversation is? It's a good problem we're talking about. True. You know what I mean? We haven't had this. This kind of means you have depth now. You're seeing this offensive line gel. Tevin Jenkins is playing really really well. Had a great game yesterday. Donnell Wright to me is is uh, really on the upswing, and he's a huge, powerful man like Tevin Jenkins. You're right, Nate Davis. I don't know what you do because I really like Tevin Jenkins and 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 Wright next to each other. They're a force. They're to me, when a defensive line gets together on Wednesday and they get their game plan, they look at who they're going against. They're saying, "Oh crap, we got to be ready for this in the run game. We have to be prepared for this." 
they can just line up and move people off the ball, not having to, you know, ball fake or doing that. They can just line up and double team you way off the ball and get yardage. Um, so to answer your question, I don't know what you knew with Nate Davis because when you sign him and you pay him that money, you brought him in to be your right guard. And you probably sold him that. And he had played much, right guard pro college. Whole, yeah, right, yeah. So I don't know if he can make the move over there. Um, but if you feel that the best five, if, if, in my opinion, the best five, and I, I've, I've met Cody, know Cody well, father time is catching up a little bit. He's not yep. playing as well as he has. He's still good. He's still good player. He's, he's, he's as good as what he's paid. I'll, I'll say that. He's not what he was a couple of years ago. We all get older and go downhill. If you want to put your best five out there, it's Braxton Jones, Tevin Jenkins, Lucas Patrick, uh, Nate Davis, and then it's uh, Darnell Wright, in my opinion. But I just, what I've seen, and we, we talked about this on the pre and post game show, if you saw the success with Tevin Jenkins and Darnell Wright, how hard is it to move those guys apart from each other? Yeah, that's the it's it's, it's like you said it's a it's a good problem to have, and yeah. if these pieces you know continue to improve and come together, I mean you just kind of look at it and go upgrade at center, and you've really you that's know for twenty twenty four, and you've got a line like even yep. like that's it's the one thing that I sit there and go if Caleb Williams or Drake May is this team's quarterback next year, and it keeps mm -hmm. trending that that direction as every week passes, putting them in and putting that quarterback that rookie quarterback in this. Off it, whether it's Luke Getzey or different offense. Mm -hmm. for, I'm just talking about the talent where you've got a safety valve like Cole Komet and you've got DJ Moore. Heck, you could have a Marvin Harrison or another. Some there's some great wide receivers coming out in this this rookie class. To have that, have some good running backs and, and this offensive line in front of him. That you're, you know, for once for the Chicago Bears who never do anything the right way, it really looks like they could be in a position to put a rookie quarterback in a favorable spot. Yeah, and I think for a center, too, you know, do you want to go out and draft one high? Or my opinion, if you are going to go the young quarterback route again, you, you find a Nate Davis-type center, somebody you'd pay a little bit to come in there to really solidify that, make that quarterback feel comfortable, make that quarterback so he doesn't have to make all the calls. You know, you hear about making the mic calls and the blitz calls and all that stuff. You know, I played with Olin Krutz, and he made the quarterback's life a lot easier because he made all those calls. And that would be a great way to have it set up for a young quarterback if he is coming in. Even if Justin Fields is still there and turns it up a little bit, I still think he's a player that needs somebody in front of him as kind of a field general like Olin was that can help him feel more comfortable with all those calls and take a little bit off his plate. So to me, if I want to upgrade this offense, I'm not drafting a center. I'm finding one that you know, I might have to overpay a little bit that might be younger and upcoming and, and potential pro bowler guy like a Nate Davis guy that, 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 that shows you he can already play but is also very smart. All right, let, let me ask you a couple more before I let you go. Yeah. One defense. I gotta ask you about the pass rush, and, and it's it's frust I mean, last two games with their wait, what pass rush? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's your four, answer. <laughs> four quarterback hits and zero sacks yeah. over the last two games. If you eliminate the Washington game, which I know people say, well, you can't eliminate their best game. Well, you can when everyone is doing that to Washington. Sure. You know, just kind of sure. you know, that's just kind of what happens with that team. I mean, the, the number, I mean, five sacks, I think it is, in eight games that mm -hmm. isn't the Washington game. There's just absolutely no pass rush. I know Matt Eberflus wasn't much of a guy that dialed up pressure in Indianapolis either, but you just can't succeed like this. And you see, I mean, Derek Carr is not the quarterback he was, but if you give these guys time, you see when you have a good quarterback, what Justin Herbert will do when he has all day back sure. there. I know Montez Sweat will hopefully, you know, start bringing some pressure and help in there. But to me, you know, Dexter Pickens, maybe their rotational pieces. I know they have an opportunity to get better. I'm not seeing the flashes of, of 
big time disruptors that I think they were hoping they could be. If they don't figure out a way to get a, a three tech in here and some interior pass rush, like Akeem Hicks was able to do, mm -hmm. you know, a few years ago, I just don't see how this pass rush is going to get much better moving forward. No, I think that's the key piece is getting a three technique. The, the two young rookies, I was hoping just because, you know, we talked about their genetic freaks, you know, they tested real well, or you know, supposed to be all this kind of stuff that you would just win one, one-on-one. -on -one, right. And they haven't done that. They've kind of been, you know, sitting there and held up and not, not causing much disruption at all. Dexter to me, you know, they talked about him playing a two gap scheme. He's still not getting off the ball as quick as everybody else. When you sit there and put it in slow motion, he's a half step behind and you can't be that in the cover two defense. You got to be eyes on the ball, getting off as soon as it's going. Pickens the last couple of weeks is playing a little better. I've got to say he's playing a little better than, uh, than Dexter right now, but overall, I guess I'm saying I'm a little disappointed in those two young rookies of what they've done so far. Uh, I don't expect that much more because it's as a rookie, you start declining once you get this part of the season because you're like, what the heck? I got this many more games. I only played 11 or 12 games in college. So it's a little different. And I'm not sure if they have the answer at the three technique. Justin Jones, to me, is, a, is an NFL player, right? He's a guy you want on your roster that's a rotational piece sure. who happens to have to be a starter. Uh, so right now, those, those two picks um, – have not played up to what I was hoping for them to play. And I'm sure Ryan Poles as well was hoping they would make some flash plays or, or splash plays here and there, but they're not. So to me, that's another piece that you have to get in free agency and or find one in the draft high up again that that maybe is uh, maybe can step in like a Tommy Harris like we had when he walked right in and, and it was a dominant force. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if they get something like that, that you know, it, it changes the whole dynamic mm -hmm. of that defensive sure. line. So, but again, there's nothing you can do this year. That's it. That, I mean, right. They tried Montez Sweat. One guy to me with this D-line is not going to make that big of a difference. He's going to make a difference, but not one where you're like, oh, look at the pressure now. It's here. It's all, you know, third and eight. They're always getting the quarterback. You're going to see some flashes, I think, from him. Sometimes he's going to be disruptive in games and help get guys get open, you know, whether E.T. or T.E. But uh, right now, this year, there's just there's no there's no real answer because you need one more guy at least. All right. Before we uh, let you go here, I always want to ask you about special teams because mm -hmm. I think that's one thing we, you know, we don't we ever talk about it that much because I think a lot of people really don't know exactly how to break down what they're seeing, sure. seeing and everything. And, and obviously you're, you're one that has that experience. So kind of how do you think special teams has been playing as, as a whole? Any specifics you want to highlight? I mean, Santos, I know he had the, the doink you yeah. know, yes, yeah, against the Saints, but, you know, can't argue with the results he's had. He's been great. You know, Trenton Gill, I'm curious your your opinion. Where is he as a punter? Is he average, below average? Is he good? You know, kind of, kind of, and, you know, in, in the return game as well, I know Trent Taylor's okay. He's been holding the fourth down, which they needed because Valus and Tyler Scott weren't the answers back there. And to me, I don't even worry about kick returns that much anymore because I think the way the game has changed and the rules have changed and the 25-yard mm -hmm. line is the touchback, yeah, 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 it's yeah. just yeah. not that important anymore. You know, maybe you disagree, but kind of where are you with the Bears special teams and kind of how they've worked as a, as a unit this year they're a bottom third unit in my opinion you know oh, they've, really? given okay. up, they've given up three punt returns of 20 plus yards and to me you know you have a standard in that room and i was in that room with dave tobe and our standard was really high i mean one 20 yard return to two 20 yard returns is terrible through for a season they already have three they had one last week another one didn't go 20 it went 18 so they're struggling on their coverage from the right side of the uh the punt punt uh coverage team I think Trenton Gill has regressed. Uh, unfortunately, I think he's been a little more inconsistent than he was last year. He had a punt uh, yesterday that came back to the middle of the field, only went 45 yards. Hang time wasn't good. I think they had a 13-yard return. And he's an excellent returner, 
That's kind of like the Devin Hester effect. I think he was trying to kick it to the corner. He has a couple good ones to the corner, but he hooked it back to the middle. They had a little bit of return. But I just think overall his season has regressed. Uh, Cairo Santos, 11 in a row, man. Okay. He missed the – doinked the 40-yarder, and that's not excusable indoors, in my opinion. Like, if we're sitting in our room, we're talking, he'd be like, dang it, that's one I should not miss. But if he makes 11 in a row and again, you, you can't you can't be mad at that guy. He's, he's, had, a, he's had a very good Bears career so far. Um, return game, Valus Jones is just – so, as a kick returner, you've got to be able to track the ball. We know he can't track the ball well as a punt returner. That's why he's not returning kicks. Well, the kickoff is different. It's more that flip-flop kick, much easier to track. He still has trouble doing that. With his explosiveness and speed, he should already be there reading the kick, set up, catching the ball, and hitting it as soon as he's catching it. I think it was two weeks ago against Minnesota. He fumbled one, had to take it yep. in the end zone. There's a couple where he's catching it kind of like sideways and not hitting it straight up the field. Huh. Um I, I just, I, and to me, that's him just not tracking the ball well. Maybe not knowing – you scout also a kicker when they're, they're takeoff to the ball. If it's coming inside out, it might be – you know, it just depends on how you scout the kickers. I'm not sure if they're doing a good job at that. But overall, bottom third. I just haven't been, haven't been you know, impressed with it. They've had a field goal – a PAT blocked. They have blocked a couple uh, field goals. Yeah, Rasheem uh, Green. Which are great. Yep. Yeah, which are great. But overall, they're a bottom third unit. If I'm scouting and wanting to go against them, I'd actually be licking my chops a little bit. Interesting. Uh, let, let me ask you one more about Gill because you know there's there's no stats for this. You don't have much many stats, even if you look at the advanced stats. There's there's not much additionally there with with punters. But to me, and it's more of a vibe. And I kind of looked it up. And again, I don't know who to compare it to as as, as you know punters and what they should be able to do. I, I feel like when the Bears punt from midfield and they have an opportunity to really pin the team deep, get that team at the four, five, six yard line. They always seem to have it at the 17 or 18. Like the, it always feels like a missed opportunity. Cause to me, like, you know, and I know this is high school when I, I'm going back and talking about when I was playing offense. <clears throat> when you're sitting there at the yep. huddle in your own end zone mm-hmm. versus, you know, at the at the 10 yard line and sure. you know you're almost at the 20, it's a totally different mentality for an offense. And I feel like the Bears don't do that very often. I know it's yeah. not all on Gil. There's coverage as well to get that ball. No, that 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 to me, that kick, that's all about the punter. These guys now have a flip-flop kick where they kick it like end over end. You know, back in the day, you hear about coffin corner. Like, we have sure. Brad Maynard. He could hit the coffin corner. And then guys came out to play with Adam Podlish, who played for us for a couple of years. He was one of the first – not one of the first, but in the era when that kind of came in where they, they changed that, where you see now the ball will hit and almost backspin. That's why uh, t- Taylor um, – somebody was asking me – oh, uh, shoot, what was it? Um, oh, should he have fair caught the ball yesterday? Not the one that, that was knocked back. But I'm like, yeah, because he caught it on the seven where potentially that could have been stopped on the two and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but the game has changed in that regard that that's a true skill set of just the punters. Not, not about coverage. Okay. Getting enough hang time, getting that little ball just to hang and fall down on the seven or five-yard line. Um, and that's where Trenton Gill has been inconsistent again. He did a pretty good job of it last year, and this year he is not. I don't know why that is. Could be a little sophomore slump. You hear about second-year guys going through that. Um, and he's got he's to get better at that. And that is one that – that to me, all punters now in the NFL should be able to do that. That's just catching the ball and hitting a ball. If you're, you know, a 42-yard kick, hit it high in the air, hit that flip kick, and the guy has to catch it, you know, because it's, you know, the guy can run down and either down it or it's going to hit and bounce backwards and not towards the end zone. All right. Well, well, there he is, at Patrick Manley on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it these days. <laughs> and, of course, pre and post on the score. 
and the longtime snapper, almost two decades worth of the Chicago Bears. Patrick, thanks for so much time. It was a great conversation. Really appreciate it and hope to talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you soon, Bill. All right. There he is, Patrick Manley. That was a really good conversation. Patrick always brings it. A couple times I've had him on this podcast. It's always been a really good conversation. I really thought that one was was really humming. He brought a lot of good stuff to the table. And I'm sure you all follow him anyway. But yeah, at Patrick Manley, two N's and two L's. If you don't follow him already, make sure you do that. And of course, you can catch him on the score pre and post all season long. So as we've been doing, we're going to get to some podcast questions. We will start with at Manning 9 He's becoming quite the friend to the program. Uh, and he says, early question for your next spots because it might require research. What is out there this offseason for free agent centers? It's got to be high on our list of must-do. And Cav Manning, I don't like getting into specifics about free agency because of how much the landscape can change between now and March. You got contract extensions, you got exclusive negotiating windows, you have a lot of opportunities for certain guys to come off the the books, so to speak, come off the available list, so to speak, I should say, in terms of who you can get at free agent center. So in terms of hoping for this player or that player to become available, you also don't know about potential cap casualties and who's going to be out there. So at this point, I think it's too early to get into specifics. But I do want to bring up something that Patrick Manley said and kind of where we're at with this offensive line, because we talked about it, you know, Patrick and I talked about just how close this offensive line is. Let's look at the 2024 offensive line. There's a lot of pieces here. All right, now let's assume the 2024 offensive line is going to have nine guys on the offensive line. Great. Okay. Who are we going to have? Let's look at the starting five. Left tackle. Let's assume Braxton Jones keeps that position. From what I could tell, he looked pretty good out there. Uh, against the Saints, a couple more penalties. That's frustrating. One would hope that's going to stop. I don't know why Braxton Jones is being penalized so much. Certainly not helping the team when he's out there. But in terms of the actual blocking, he's been pretty solid. Now, if you have an opportunity to take a Fashanu or you know someone of that ilk, do you do it and trade Braxton Jones or try and bump him inside or make him a backup or something? Possibly. That's absolutely something that's going to be on the table. When you have an opportunity to get a big, big time left tackle, sometimes that's just something you cannot pass up. So it'll be interesting to see if that opportunity presents itself. But let's assume the Bears do not spend a high pick, first round pick on the offensive line. You got Braxton Jones at left tackle. I assume Tevin Jenkins, although I agree with what Patrick said, he's been really good on the right side. But Nate Davis and Darnell Wright look pretty darn good together too. Not quite as mauling and aggressive, but they did, especially with pass blocking, they look pretty good together. So I'm assuming Tevin's going to come back over to the left side. So now you've got Braxton Jones, Tevin Jenkins. And on the right side, you're going to have Nate Davis and Darnell Wright. You actually have the makings there of a really solid foundation of an offensive line. And I like what Patrick Manley said about getting a center, a veteran center, Cav, like you said, getting that free agent center in here who can make line calls and kind of take control of this offensive line a little bit. I think that would be a really smart way to go. Don't wait all the way until the draft and cross your fingers that you're going to be able to get a center capable of starting. 
do it in free agency. You're still going to have the money. So go ahead, sign a center, complete your starting offensive line. Then let's look at who you've got behind them, right? You're going to have most likely four spots behind them. Larry Borum, he's a serviceable swing tackle. I highly doubt there would be a reason to move on from Larry Borum next year. Fourth year of the rookie contract, it'll be his last year in Chicago, most likely, but Larry Borum is there. Jatiri Carter also should remain. Pretty good when he's had opportunities, certainly issues, certainly not a guy you can rely on to start. The Bears probably should have seen him at center in OTAs and maybe training camp a little bit and see if he could do anything there. They didn't because they thought they were fine with Cody Whitehair and Lucas Patrick. Big mistake. But there you go where you have Carter and Borum. What else should they do? I think they should sign a veteran interior offensive lineman to go with Carter. Someone who's capable at playing center potentially and someone who you're not going to start. They'll be your OL6, but they can back up multiple positions. I think that would be smart. There's your eighth offensive lineman, ninth offensive lineman. Take a developmental guy on, you know, late day two, day three, round four, you know, three, four, five, somewhere in there in the rounds, whether, you know, best guy available. If it's a tackle, okay, go ahead and make it a tackle. If it's, if it's an interior guy, all right, make it an interior guy. But the reason I signed that veteran along the offensive line and make sure you know what you have with Jatiri Carter is because Tevin Jenkins is awesome, but Tevin Jenkins gets hurt. So you need to make sure that you have someone capable of stepping in for Tevin Jenkins and doing starter quality work. Maybe not as good as Tevin Jenkins, obviously, but starter quality work when they get an opportunity. That's going to be important for this team next year. You have to make sure you have it covered when Tevin Jenkins gets hurt. And I don't like to say when Tevin Jenkins gets hurt, but there's no reason right now to think he won't because he's gotten hurt every year. So he's going to miss a few games. You need to make sure someone can fill in for him capably. But you get a decent, you know, a solid center in free agency who's going to be able to help the rookie, assuming there's a rookie quarterback behind him, with Davis, Jenkins, Wright, and Jones. That's an offensive line. You are putting a quarterback behind, a rookie quarterback behind a favorable offensive line. And that is not something the Bears have been, ever really been able to say. So I like what the Bear, where the Bears' offensive line is, Cav. Yes, I agree with you, free agent center, in terms of specifics. Circle back with me, you know, mid to late February. And let's take a look at who's available, who hasn't been extended, and who's going to be hitting free agency. All right, we got one here from Jack. In uh, a lot of numbers, at Jack with too many numbers to repeat. Will the Bears possibly have to lose to the Cardinals on purpose to get this done? And when he's talking about getting it done, he's talking about the number one pick in the draft. And quite simply put, Jack, no, they do not have to lose to the Cardinals on purpose. First pick, great. Second pick still works. The Panthers are the path to that pick. And the Bears, like this lose on purpose thing, you just need to flush it down the toilet. It doesn't happen. When teams talk about tanking, it's about what players they put on the field to potentially try to win. 
There is no tanking in terms of purposely trying to lose football games. No one's going out there and telling Nathan Peterman to start against the Cardinals and throw five interceptions. They're going to start Nathan Peterman in hopes that he throws five interceptions on his own. That's what tanking is. There is no purposely trying to lose games. So they are not going to try to lose to the Cardinals on purpose. But the Chicago Bears, in terms of that selection, are not going to... The, the Bears aren't going to have the one or two pick based on the Bears record. I feel confident about that. Bears could have the third, fourth, fifth pick somewhere in there. They're going to be bad, but I don't know if they're number one pick bad this year. The Carolina Panthers are. That's the focus for me is where the Panthers are and how much the Panthers uh, you know, can, can continue to lose and secure that number one, maybe number two pick. In terms of you know losing to the Cardinals on purpose, I know what you're trying to say, get the Cardinals another win again let's see what kyler murray can do once he's back and playing quarterback how much can he elevate the team when they have a significantly better quarterback we know how important the position is let's see what kyler murray can do kyler murray might be able to win a couple games on his own because of the talent he is not saying he's an elite quarterback but he's a top 15 quarterback he's significantly better than Josh Dobbs or Clayton Toon or anyone else they're going to roll out there. And Josh Dobbs did a solid job as a backup quarterback, but he's certainly no Kyler Murray. So let's see where Kyler Murray is. Let's see what he does and how is this team moving forward. Because I'll be honest, if you're in a position where you hope the Chicago Bears lose to the Cardinals for multiple reasons, whether it's so the Bears get an extra loss, whether it's so the Cardinals get an extra win, I'm not guaranteeing a victory because when you're the Chicago Bears, you should not guarantee any victories with how this team is played. But you're talking about a late afternoon game on Christmas Eve. You're talking about an Arizona Cardinals team that's probably going to just have two, three wins, four wins, whatever it might be. They're going to have no motivation. They're going to have to fly from their nice warm weather cocoon in Arizona, fly to frigid Chicago go out there on Soldier Field, freeze their ass off on a 15-degree day where they have absolutely nothing on the line but pride. They just flew 2,500 miles, and it's Christmas Eve, and those are the guys that, that, that have families and want to spend time with their families. They're stuck in Chicago playing a crappy game against a crappy team to, to you know almost wrap up their season, their second-to-last or third-to-last game of the year, whatever. So do not try and count on the Bears losing that game. Of course they could. They're bad enough to lose to anybody. They could lose to the Panthers at home on Thursday. But don't count on that because that Cardinals team is not going to be motivated to play really good football. So let's, let's not sit there and think about losing on purpose to the Cardinals because that's certainly not going to help. And let's do one more here before we wrap up the podcast. Joe Tusio, which is exactly what he is, at Joe Tusio, uh, at Joe Tusio on Twitter. Do you think Paul's had genuine belief in Flus as head coach moving forward? Don't know what he can do to save his job. And Joe, and I said it at the beginning of this podcast, I have significant worries about how much... Ryan Poles had Matt Eberflus's back last week when he addressed the media. That was not, we have the utmost confident, confidence in Matt, and he is our head coach moving forward kind of 
coach speak, GM speak that you would hear with that vote of confidence. That was a very, very significant, you know, there was a lot behind that. Ryan Poles was almost fighting for his guy, Matt Eberflus, is how it felt. So I am certainly not one to say Matt Eberflus is fired 100%. It's close, I would say. But again, to me, the, the seven wins, that's the number. And there they are at two and seven. And to get to seven wins now, they're going to have to go five and three down the stretch. So that is almost an impossibility at this point. But with Carolina and Arizona, a bad Packers team, a Falcons team that's up and down, there are winnable games on this schedule. Now, I don't think they're going to do it because this Bears team is bad and they're poorly coached. And because they're poorly coached and bad, they're going to have a bad record and therefore Matt Eberflus almost certainly will be fired. But let's not leave the door open. And again, I'm not saying cheer for losses, but you don't want this team to go 7-10. and 10. You don't want this team to get hot on the second half of the year because if they do, I think Matt Eberflus can keep his job. I absolutely do. There's The only thing that can save Matt Eberflus at this point is victories. There's nothing else that he can do. But if he gets some victories, if he says, hey, look at us, we finished five and three, you know, we finished the season, you know, going five and three or whatever, I, we got this thing, you know, we got the ship righted, things got better. Don't give him that opportunity. I just don't want to see him back. So I do think Poles has genuine belief in Matt Eberflus as a head coach. I really do. Is Matt Eberflus going to be able to do enough to save his job? I don't think so. And if Ryan Pohl sees the writing on the wall from his boss, Kevin Warren, and, and potentially George McCaskey, he's certainly going to say, all right, let's let Eberflus go and we'll find a new coach. I, I would highly doubt that Ryan Poles is loyal enough to say, well, if Matt Eberflus is fired, you need to fire me too. Because in the end, Ryan Poles is going to protect his job in the end. So could both of them be fired? I think absolutely. Could neither of them be fired? I think there's still a chance, but it is waning each with each and every loss. But I do think the most likely probability at this point is Ryan Poles being retained and Matt Eberflus being fired. Because again, I look at the Montez Sweat situation, that trade, I just can't see Ryan Poles being fired after making that trade. Because Kevin Warren and George McCaskey, I'm sure, signed off on that trade and if they did it, that means they are giving some level of a vote of confidence in Ryan Poles moving forward, because that is a bold move. And I can't see if they're thinking about changing the GM after the season, that they would be okay making a move like that. And again, in terms of that trade, and I'll just wrap up with this really quick. I don't love the idea of trading a top 40 pick for exclusive negotiating rights, but I do think it is a false argument to say that Montez Sweat could have been signed in free agency and you'd still have your second round pick. If the Bears didn't trade for Montez Sweat, I am confident that he would have been traded to the Atlanta Falcons and the Atlanta Falcons would have would have extended him just like Ryan Poles did. I do not think he was available in free agency and would have been. Maybe Chase Young will be. But the Bears didn't seem to be too keen on that knee. A lot of teams didn't seem to be too keen on trusting that knee moving forward. So 
The Bears will need to sign another edge. They don't have enough on the roster, but I just don't think the idea of saying they could have gotten sweat in March with free agency is a valid argument. He would have been an Atlanta Falcon. He would have remained an Atlanta Falcon. I'm confident in saying that. So for me, I don't like the process of doing this and trading a high value pick. They extended him. They needed to extend him. That was critical. You know, I think, you know, when you hear kind of from, uh, from Jeremy Fowler and Dan Graziano, how Poles did this, he did not have parameters. It doesn't seem like in place to get an extension. He had to give Sweat a massive guarantee, the most ever, the highest percentage ever to an edge on a contract. He had to give that in because he gave Sweat the leverage when he traded for him, but he got it done. You give him credit. Sweat's basically got three guaranteed years on his contract on a four-year deal. He's going to be here. He's a good run stopper because we know Matt Eberfuss loves his run stoppers and he can get to the quarterback. Will he be able to get to the quarterback as well with a crappy scheme and less talent on the defensive line? We will see. He disrupted one pass. He got one pressure and, and forced an incompletion. Good for him. We need a lot more than that moving forward if Montez Sweat is going to make an impact on this defensive line. So as we wrap up, we'll do the Carolina Panthers prediction. And I was thinking about this. I picked the Bears to beat the Packers at the beginning of the year. But then I was so disappointed with how they played. I picked them to lose to Tampa. I picked them to lose to Kansas City. They were at 0-3, totally in the toilet. I thought there was no chance they'd beat Denver. And then at that point, they were 0-4. I absolutely picked them to lose to Washington. And again, they won that one. But then I absolutely picked them to lose to Minnesota. I was actually the only one on the Windy City Gridiron writer staff that picked Minnesota. And then I'm pretty sure I picked the Raiders, and I picked the Chargers, and I picked the Saints. So I'm pretty sure with these predictions, I'd have to go back and listen. I'm pretty sure I picked them to beat the Packers and then lose every other game. So unfortunately, I've been right for the most part. But this week... At home, primetime TV, national television on Amazon, the Chicago Bears and the Carolina Panthers, whether it's Bajan or Fields, I am saying a victory for the Chicago Bears is forthcoming. I'm going to do two scores, the Bajan score and the Fields score. If Tyson Bajan starts... The Chicago Bears win this game 20 to 16. If Justin Fields starts, this team, the Chicago Bears, will beat the Carolina Panthers 27 to 17. With a little more offense, defense lets up a little bit, gets an extra touchdown instead of a couple field goals. So 20 to 16 or 27 to 17, the Chicago Bears are victorious regardless of who plays quarterback this Thursday against the Panthers. We'll see if I'm right. We'll talk to you next week. Bear down, everybody. Adios. <laughs>